4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. NBA Finals coming up in an hour. We got the pregame, then tip close to 6 o'clock. Suns and the Bucks will uh, get you last-minute uh, line update in a little bit. We got the Fat Pack coming up later this hour. Uh, big news item of the day. Uh, sports and otherwise, because uh, this was in the sports conversation for a while. Um, Brightline West, the uh, plans on uh, building the uh, train all the way down to Victorville. Well, they needed a hub here. They needed a main station. You know, at one point, um, I think it was a different project, had teed up the Raiders site. That was going to be the site. Well, obviously, the Raiders bought that for, I think it was about $75 million. That was a 63-acre site right right there by the Las Vegas Strip. Well, Brightline, uh, the next group up trying to do this uh, high-speed rail line in Southern California, they have purchased a piece of property, uh, Windmill and LV Boulevard, uh, right there across from the uh, outlet south. So right off of LV Boulevard, and that that has also been a heavily rumored site uh, in the past for potentially the Raiders stadium, uh, maybe the A stadium, some other big projects. So it's going to be the home of this, this train station. It looks like it was, uh, it was closed on July 1st, according to Mick Akers from the RJ. The price on this one was 140 mil. All right, football frenzy, some headlines, some news and notes from around not only uh, the NFL, but also college football. Uh, interestingly, we were just talking to Q Myers about Darren Waller, uh, and Waller made comments Recently that, uh, yeah, you know what, if Tim Tebow, you know, trying to be a tight end in the NFL, if he wants to reach out to me, of course I'd talk to him. There's been a lot of pushback. A lot of other people are very pissed off about Tebow. But that's Darren Waller. That's Darren Waller. He's really cool. But it, listen, the, the Tebow situation is unusual because he's 33 years old. Uh, if Tebow had to try, had tried to make this move when he was, um, you know, even 26 or 27 after quarterback didn't work out in the NFL, I think people would have their uh, arms open to it a little more than they do right now. Because the, the bat, well, in this case, the the tight end position has been open to guys making a transition like from basketball. We saw Tony Gonzalez, you know, outstanding, a solid basketball player at Cal. Uh, he was a football player as well. But, you know, uh, and we've seen actually pure college basketball players uh, go into the NFL and turn into pretty decent tight ends. And the latest one is going to try it. It's a kid out of uh, St. Louis University who was a former top 50 recruit, Hassan French, who uh, – you know, listed around 6'9", 260. He's actually about 6'7". Um, but the Titans had a little video. I think it was Jimmy Wyatt who works uh, for one of the Tennessee papers put out a video. So they're going to try this kid. It'll be interesting to follow. Uh, we'll send out the video. Uh, Hassan French, he's 6'7", 254. You know, looks pretty rudimentary in his route running abilities. But you could just see why the Titans are like, okay, intriguing guy. Because at 6'7", 254, he's got just a giant derriere, the big legs. He actually, if you look at him, he actually looks like more of a prospect to put on weight. Like He looks like he could easily carry 300, 310 pounds and maybe be an offensive line prospect. But, you know, we've talked to... Yeah, we talked to Johnny Stanton, who's you know making his way in the NFL as kind of a utility guy. Uh, he played quarterback at UNLV, also played a little linebacker, and he talked about that whole transition, the whole the hands adjustment, right? So it's a big learning process. So we'll see what happens with this Hassan French kid. And by the way, he's not French. His name is Hassan French kid with a longer pause. Uh, we kind of buried the story with Ariel Hawani a couple minutes ago, but I wanted to bring it up again. We're seeing more and more of these uh, creative NIL deals 
coming out of the gates. And one comes from the world of mixed martial arts, where a guy, Dan Lambert, and you know I know the name from covering MMA for a long time, and uh, he's the owner of uh, American Top Team in South Florida. They've got all these tremendous fighters come out of that camp, and they, you know, they still work there. Well, he's a, apparently he's a gigantic uh, Canes, Miami Hurricanes booster backer. So above board, he's, he's actually offering all 90 scholarship players at Miami a chance to make $6,000, right? It's 500 bucks a month. They just have to promote American Top Team on their social media, and they're good to go. So not a giant portion of money for like the highest-level guys on the team. Like Derek King's going to make a lot more than that. He's the quarterback, but kind of nice, right, if you're a player. You know, there's a lot of guys who are just practice players. A lot of guys just want to be on the football team, and they're not going to play. You know, for guys who are you know, 80, 85, 90 on the roster, they'll pull in 500 bucks a month. Pretty cool. And now, like, could that stuff have happened in the past? Of course it could. Now, it's above board. Uh, Barstool's getting involved in this, which I think is real interesting. So they're they're going with this concept of uh, Barstool athletes. I don't know what they're paying them. I don't know what the total is. I know last week we talked about uh, a Barstool athlete was a female volleyball player at Jacksonville State. Um, I've seen some other players sign up. I know uh, there was a kid on Stanford who's involved. Now, this is interesting. Uh, we don't talk a lot about Portnoy because I think he – I'll say this. A lot of this is a work. A lot of what he's doing is a work. A lot of it is a character. Uh, he's not an idiot. Make him off like an idiot sometimes, but he's not an idiot. He actually said of this Barstool athlete thing, which, again, is they're going to push the Barstool brand, another name, image, likeness deal. He goes, I didn't give it a ton of thought until a couple hours ago when Adelaide Halverson, she's a volleyball player, that's what we were talking about, from Jacksonville State DM me. She's like, yo, I want to be the first Barstool athlete. Uh, Portnoy, who runs Barstool's made all this money off this concept, says, I'm in. I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. And he still says, he's still saying that he doesn't exactly know what they're doing. Like Drew Peterson is uh, part of it. He's a, uh, a big guy, really a guard, small forward um, at USC. I think they know exactly what they're doing. So I know that, that, that he's pitching this like, oh, hey, you know, just having fun. Watch what happens with this. Because a lot of it will go swimmingly. But there'll be some stuff in the future where Barstool goes full Barstool, which a lot of times is misogynist, and women in particular get really pissed off at Barstool. I, I forget how someone put it earlier. Traditional masculinity is what Barstool pushes. So then what will happen is you'll have some females on these campuses get pissed off at male athletes, and maybe even this volleyball player, but get pissed off at male athletes for pushing the Barstool brand. They're all about misogyny. And then guess what happens? Barstool gets even more attention. And then gets to get in these fights, which he, you know, he loves so much and the Barstool personalities love so much. So there's always a work. I look at everything with cynicism. There's always a work at hand. All right, let's find out what's going on in the world of Miles Simmons. On the way back, I want to see this guy write so much on the NFL, even in July, if he's got some like primo material that's already come out of this Brady Mickelson, uh, Rogers, and DeChambeau, the match. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. 
Now, back to Cofield and Company. You are hearing unofficially 76 hot dogs and buns for Joey Chestnut, which, if confirmed, would be yet another world record. What a great country we live in. Got Joey Chestnut, all that news going down from the 4th of July. We get to watch uh, rich guys play golf on TV. I just found out that, uh, hey, Descent is very American, right? Adam Hill. um, I didn't realize the jump with Rachel Nichols had been canceled today. Uh, According to Ben Strauss, says because of the backlash to yesterday's episode, Rachel Nichols hosting and the uh, awkward opening segment. But the hope is that it's back on the air tomorrow. So... The saga continues with one Rachel Nichols. All right, let's get into some NFL and whatever else we feel like talking about. It's always wild and woolly with uh, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, who apparently is back on the West Coast. I don't know if you uh, if you know this, Adam Hill, but uh, it sounds like Miles has finally <coughs> departed from Ohio. What's up, Miles? I have. I have departed from Ohio. I, I've been out here actually the last two weeks. I guess we just didn't talk about it. No, we didn't. And uh, when I was texting you today about the spot, yeah. you know, I'm I'm still in the east, you know, your Eastern time thing, and you're like, ah, that's enough. You can do a Pacific time. I'm out in LA. Yes, <laughs> uh, that is exactly what happened there. Yeah, like I don't I don't want to be associated with Eastern time very much anymore, even though like my work hours are still kind of Eastern time. But that's who cares about that? Nobody cares. So Miles' job, I think, from from what I see, is uh, every day they're like, where are your twelve stories? And that's a pro football talk in July. Getting 12 stories is not easy. Are you watching the match, transcribing every exchange and seeing if like, there's anything football-wise going on here in the match? I'm actually not watching the match. Come on! Uh, there are other people that are watching they it are, that right? I work yep. with. Uh, I was, I just, this is really inside my life, right? Like, I just, I stopped working today. I took a friend to the airport. And, you know, now I'm here and I'm going to go get a workout in on my Peloton after we're done talking. So before the final start tonight, that's really what I'm excited about today. Is, is golfing Aaron Rodgers way of working on his mental health miles and what is going on with him? Uh, this is the interesting thing that is now happening, right? I mean, you, if, if you say that you've been working on your mental health, everybody's got to respect that. And I, I do respect it from Aaron Rodgers perspective, but it, it's when it comes out in sort of the context that, um, we all know that things are going on with uh, the Packers right now. It, it's, it's just one of those things where you have to say, okay, well, maybe that's why Aaron Rodgers is, you know, doing all the things that he's doing, you know, and threatening essentially to, to stay away um, if he doesn't get whatever it is exactly that he wants, which he hasn't quite told us as the media, you know, or hasn't quite said publicly, but those who know him, you know, have been out here in the Twitter streets and on different media outlets talking about how, you know, he's dissatisfied with the front office. And, you know, even he said on that King Lane interview, you know, it's not his teammates, it's not the coaches, it's, but he didn't mention the front office. So I, your guess is probably as good as mine, Adam, to really know what exactly he's doing here. But, you know, I think that, haven't we all been, you know, in a situation where it's like, man, if I could just go hit a bucket of balls, I'm going to go feel better about my life. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. It's, it's very weird. And and I'm glad that you said he hasn't really said it because, you know, we've talked, I think, endlessly about that ESPN interview and how afterwards everybody's like, well, Aaron Rodgers finally told us. No, he didn't. 
No, he didn't say he didn't. anything. Yeah, it's yeah, he, he didn't say bizarre. directly what the issue is, right? And we, I think, even if he hadn't done that, um, that interview, it we could interpret that there is some sort of problem simply from the action of not showing up to mandatory minicamp, right? So what exactly the problem is and how exactly the problem gets resolved, I, I mean, they can do that behind closed doors, but until it happens and until somebody either has an action that uh, clearly states like the problem is over or comes out and clearly says the problem is over because X, Y, Z, then we're going to be talking every Tuesday about the latest on Aaron Rodgers. And I, I've accepted that. I'm okay with it. So we have the vague answer from Aaron Rodgers on ESPN. I think there's also some vague reporting to the uh, NFL coming down on the Washington football team. Some people said they really came down on them. They crushed them. Other people said it was nothing. It was a slap on the wrist. Like, what was it? They, they gave him some recommendations. They're giving him a fine. It, were they were they hard on the on the football team, or were they easy on them? Hmm. Well, they didn't force a sale, and we don't really know exactly the extent of the problems because Beth Wilkinson, the independent investigator, independent, you know, in quotes, because she was initially hired by Washington and then was effectively hired by the NFL, her report's never going to be made public, or there isn't a report to be made public, right? Hmm. So we don't know exactly what went down other than what was reported in outlets like the Washington Post, which was some extremely heinous stuff, especially if you think about what was going on with the cheerleaders and um, their calendar shoots and, you know, the fact that, uh, um, editors were reportedly told to make videos of uh, these naked cheerleaders when they were on a calendar shoot and something that's supposed to be very classy, right? Like when they were unrobed and you know transitioning from different shots, those were the parts that people were supposed to record and then put on a DVD and give it to one of the people in charge. That's heinous. It's disgusting, right? And so you think about that, and there's a lot of other salacious, salacious stuff um, and it all falls on the doorstep of Dan Snyder. So there's some there's a bit of a dispute in the reporting right now um, from Dan Snyder's camp that is basically the Washington Post reported that uh, Snyder has effectively been suspended from the day-to-day operations of the Washington football team. His wife um, has taken over all of those roles as co-CEO and co-owner. And the dispute here is, well, whether or not Roger Goodell has to approve Dan Snyder coming back to his day-to-day roles and overseeing the operation day-to-day. Snyder's camp refutes that, but the Washington Post still stands by its reporting. And so there's not also, there's not real, been real word of clarification from the NFL itself. So I I think if you're looking at it from the standpoint of, yeah, it's a billion dollar industry, right? And, you know, the Washington football team is ostensibly worth, let's call it two to four billion dollars. Something that's worth that much money in only being slapped with a $10 million fine, it's essentially like, you know, somebody finding your me like 20 bucks or maybe 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not, it's not that much. But at the same time, $10 million is still a lot of money, and it can still go to causes that do a lot of good. So I don't want to act like $10 million is nothing because it's not. But when there was as much wrong with the culture of the Washington football team as there was, the fact that we're not going to know why there were these 10 recommendations because, you know, what, exactly what was going on in there, 
that's a bit of a problem. And in that way, yes, Washington got off easy because we don't know exactly what happened and why it was that you know they needed to come under investigation or why the punishments were handed down. You can find the work of uh, Miles Simmons up on Pro Football Talk. You have a story up there uh, talking about Dan Campbell's staff and Anthony Lynn. That uh, Lynn said, "Hey, originally he had planned on sending out 2021." Tell me if I'm crazy on this. I actually don't love his decision to remain in the NFL and do it with Dan Campbell. That worries me. Why does it worry you? Because I think Dan Campbell is going to be a freaking disaster. Oh, I like Dan Campbell, man. <laughs> I want Dan Campbell to be a head coach uh, for 10 plus years. And here's why because he is eminently quotable. I mean, I love writing stories off of Dan Campbell press conferences because you honestly <laughs> never know what you're going to get. So I really do hope he's successful. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think maybe Anthony Lynn could have found himself in a better situation to be a head coach next year if he had taken that year off and, you know, been out and gone and done some other things. But, you know, what he said in that interview um, with uh, Don Manzano and um, uh, Fernando Rodriguez, um, the Compass on the Beat podcast, which they do a good job of covering the Chargers out there. But they, what I thought was so interesting was that he was talking about how, you know, I tried to mentor Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn when we were together when we were in Dallas. <laughs> and, you know, it just turns out that those guys, they'd been in New Orleans together. Now they were going to come coach. And I felt like it would be a special situation for me. And, you know, I think whenever you can be in a, a work environment that, allows you to really be yourself and allows you to, to be around people you, you really care about, like that to me makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if Anthony Lynn can turn Jared Goff, help turn Jared Goff into a viable quarterback, that's going to get him a head coaching job next year, right? And if he doesn't, then I don't really think anybody's going to blame Anthony Lynn for that, you know, because Anthony Lynn did just preside over – uh, the quarterback who was offensive rookie of the year and had one of the best rookie seasons that a rookie quarterback has ever had in Justin Herbert. So I think that when by staying in the league, he's still going to get some opportunities. But if you have a year, two years, whatever it is, to be around people you really like, you care about, and you believe in, I don't blame him for that. I don't, Miles, you're a professional. You, you're all over my next question, which was, wasn't the allure of working with Jared Goff just too much? Um, of course it is. No, I, look... <laughs> Jared Goff is he's in an interesting situation because they asked him about Jared Goff, too, and, and what he was talking about is that he liked working with Jared. He felt good about empowering Jared with different things, and, and Goff said that a couple of weeks ago to, um, during the OTAs or minicamp. I can't quite remember. There's a lot of football that starts swimming around in my brain in quotes. You know, you talk about all these stories I write every day. Anyway, I, I, I just I think that it's good sometimes when everybody's coming in with a fresh start you know, if Matthew Stafford had been the quarterback, then I think that there is some a, a, a little more pressure to make sure you get the offense right right away because he's a veteran quarterback. You know he can play at a high to elite level. You've seen Jared Goff perform well in the past, in 17 and 18 specifically, but over the last two years, all he could do is turn the ball over. So the Lions, are since Barry Sanders retired, have not really been a team that's very good at running the football, but... That's kind of Anthony Lynn's specialty. So if they can run the football well and they use that offensive line that's got Ragnow, um, that's got Taylor Decker, that's got now Penny Sewell, and you, know, you have somebody like DeAndre Swift who can do a good job, like, I, I think that there is reason to believe that that could be a viable offense. But, again, you're talking about a division that's got the Green Bay Packers, who I think 
you know, Aaron Rodgers obviously is, is an issue there, but if Aaron Rodgers plays, they're still probably going to go 13 and four or 14, 12 and five, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. And, and they'll still do well, right? Then you also have the Vikings. Their defense is going to be revamped. You know, they still got really talented receivers in Thielen and Jefferson. Um, and then the Bears, you don't really know what's going to happen there um, with Justin Fields potentially taking over at some point for Andy Dalton. Like, it, it's not an easy division, but it's not the toughest division. So I don't really know exactly how the Lions are going to look. But, you know, if they're like a 6-7 win team, that to me is not awful. Miles, good spot. I can't believe you're not watching the match, but if your Peloton workout's more important, then, uh, you know, you do what you do. It absolutely is. I just, all my stuff just got here to Southern <laughs> California. I haven't had the actual Peloton bike since early March, so I am oh, wow. loving every second of being back on it. All right. Well, next time you're on, we gotta, we're going to find out more about the move and L.A. Okay. I really care. No, I really <laughs> do. Great. We really do care about your life. I, I feel bad now that we didn't ask you a couple weeks ago. Damn me. <laughs> no, it's fine. All right, Miles. <laughs> we'll see you, buddy. I take care, guys. Adam, why didn't you, you tell me? You set me up. I had, I didn't know he moved. Are you saying you don't follow him on Instagram? Uh, I don't. I, you know what? I still am not. I know this is ridiculous. I'm still not a big IG guy, and I follow him on Twitter where he was tweeting about the HBO show Succession, but I didn't sure. see anything about the move. So, Well, Instagram is more real-life stuff. Oh, it is? All right. Well, I don't have a real life. I don't have anything to chronicle that's interesting, so I don't post a whole lot on, uh, on IG, but I will try to. Coming up, we got to get to the uh, fat pack, and again, um, also have to mention that important note today, a big piece of property sold on the uh, south end of, uh, well, south of where the Al is, south of Town Square. Uh, could have been one of the sites for the A's if they're going to move here, but now it's bye-bye. The phone lines are open and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's one. Now I have to go back and watch this this match. So much of it is about the the non-golf stuff and the talking and uh, Rob Gronkowski's on the phone right now. Uh, they're going to the eighth. It's Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson against Rodgers and DeChambeau. I think they're even, unless I just missed something, but they were even uh, through seven. All right, Adam, well, one of the big news items of the day, I just wanted your take on it real quick. Did you see the, uh, the uh, rail line company, Brightline, bought that piece of property on LV Boulevard, uh, windmill across from the uh, premium outlet south? Sure, my neighborhood. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. That's a 110 acre plot. Uh, there, you know, years and years and years ago, we were talking about potential places the uh, Raiders could build uh, Las Vegas Stadium. They could build the Al. Uh, I know that one. They, you know, the owner of that was uh, was pushing hard. Um, I thought that might be a decent spot for the A's. You know, if the A's relocate here, but that property is now gone, as it'll be the rail station for what we hope is a train that will take people from Vegas to Victorville and eventually all the way down to L.A. Yeah, hopefully all the way down to L.A. sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's uh, it's been delayed and talked about a billion times, but it seems like everything's in line to to try to get it done. All right, well, uh, you know the rails and uh, trains are unbelievable in Japan. What a segue! Um, I don't, I haven't been there, but you know they they look awesome, right? Uh, we're kind of jealous. We uh, we dropped sure. off with the uh, the rail line technology. It seems like, or at least building new rail lines and keeping things up. Uh, you know, topic for another day with our infrastructure. But uh, in Japan. I figured you. This is a perfect story for you. 
Um, I dig on swine. I like ham. I like the rest of the pig. Um, I'm not sure I want to eat what they're calling a radioactive hybrid terror pig. Did you see this? I did. Uh, fairly terrifying. Yes. Scary. Uh, they're in the Fukushima exclusion zone. Well, which, I mean, I don't know too much about, you know, what's going on, you know, here. Uh, in some of our, you know, un, uncharted territories in Nevada. Yeah. But I'm hoping that these things aren't growing. Uh, who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, I know in this case, so it's this, it's this crazy Japanese boar that's turned into like a super boar. And apparently they were also... Uh, going out there and and doinking regular pigs, so now you may have some like hybrid scary pig running around Japan. It's not a good situation. Adam, your line is uh, not great today, so we're gonna we're gonna hang up on you. Uh, Adam's back in later in the week. He's covering UFC all week. Uh, up next, though, let's get you ready for finals game number one in the NBA. We'll talk a little hot dog contest, some baseball futures as our. Tuesday, sports betting experts gets us ready for the game tonight. Sam Paniotovich from Nesson is on the way. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company late night pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Cofield and Company here on this Tuesday. NBA Finals coming up in just a matter of minutes as we got the pregame, but we always check in with our uh, gaming guy, our sports betting guy on Tuesdays. It's Sam Paniotovich. Before we get to the NBA and strategies to bet the finals, we got to talk about my favorite event of the year. I go crazy for the hot dog contest, but I got to tell you, Sam, the broadcast was a freaking nightmare. I always say it's tough to put a lot of money on a contest that involves fat people eating hot dogs. <laughs> and uh, that rang true specifically on the 4th of July this year when I thought I had a pretty good number and an even better price. I went under 73 and a half hot dogs for Joey Chestnut. And at the time that I wrote the column on Nesson, it was plus 170. So 100 wins be 170. And I'm looking at the forecast Friday and Saturday. It's hot and rainy, which leads into a steamy and muggy Sunday. So I, I did all my degenerate weather math and I thought, eh, yeah, he could do it, but I like the under and I like the price. So we're watching the contest and the feed goes out two minutes in oh or a couple minutes in. It goes off for about two minutes and then the feed comes back and they go, oh, yeah, Joey Chestnut's at 58 hot dogs. I'm like, wait a minute. So nobody knew the true count. I'm not, I'm not calling shady business, but it's hard for me going forward to place any money on this contest when we can just pull the plug out whenever we want and say, oh, yeah, he ate 76. It's interesting, too. I read that uh, Chestnut, if you, you know, if you watched it, you kind of see his face afterwards. And eating 76 hot dogs will make you kind of sick, but he uh, – I don't know. He kind of looked like he was done with it. And uh, now there are rumors that at 38, he may walk away. Well, I don't know how much longer he can nor should do it. I mean, the guy, he's already won it 14 times. (laughs) He has the world record. When he entered the space, you know, in the early 2000s, it was a 12-minute contest, and Kobayashi was the phenom at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kobayashi was in the 50s, dude. Yeah. He was yeah. eating 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. This guy's eating 76 and 10. So I, I don't know how much more he has to prove. 
if I was his doctor, I would strongly advise against any more of this stuff. But <laughs> there he is. Some people, some people, like Ken Griffey, when he was a White Sox, should he have been playing still? No. But you know, when you're a competitor, it's hard to hang him up. Ah, going out on the top of your game, uh, I love it. Doc Paniotovich uh, worried about Joey Chestnut's health. Uh, yeah, the field in the future should be a little more balanced. I will say though, and you've you pointed this out, you've gone at some of the books and their their number splits. Uh, some of the splits before this whole thing, the hot dog contest, where you know Michelle Lesko was like minus twelve hundred, the the comeback is like plus five hundred for anyone else in the field. Um, I'm not saying people shouldn't bet uh, the event because only certain you know there's only certain books that offer it, but some of the numbers up there, some of the splits are not fair. I have a buddy in Vegas. His name's Rick, so naturally we call him Vegas Rick. Very strong nickname. Sure. Um, he's sitting at his screen, you know, he's, he's in the man cave with eight monitors and three screens and Don best and all that. And we were talking early last week when the market was mostly chestnut minus 5,000, yep. the field 10 to one, that was the, the split, which again, sucks as you know, yep. but I think it was early Sunday morning. The market got down at one book to chestnut minus 2,400. So to him, a guy who bets for a living and has a lot of money, he fired and he hammered minus twenty four hundred. Nice, nice. That's a lot of money to win a little. Yeah. But if he put down a hundred grand, you do the math. You know, he made some money. And then of course, when when those guys betted at minus twenty four hundred, it goes back up to minus thirty three hundred. I think the market closed at minus four thousand. So yes, it's expensive. It's way too rich for my blood. But for a pro better. When the market was minus five thousand and it craters down to minus twenty four hundred, those guys see value and they still fire. And again, it wasn't even all that close. So it feels like all the money on the NBA finals is coming in on the Suns. What are you seeing now with the odds change? Yeah, it's it's tough because we don't know about Giannis, and that's really the elephant in the room. I think the most notable bet I've seen so far: somebody at MGM walked in and they bet eleven thousand dollars on Suns and four. As if we haven't heard Suns and four enough over the last month, uh, it's a nine to one payout. So it's eleven thousand to win ninety nine thousand on a Suns sweep. I don't think that happens. I respect the bet. I love a good bet that's relatively a little to win relatively a lot. I'm not going to sit here and say eleven thousand dollars is a little, but I thought that was the most notable bet. Um, as far as strategy for the finals, um, I think these are the tightest lines, Steve, in the world. Um, you know, the NBA finals, um, the NFL playoffs, these are the tightest markets of the year. And these are the toughest markets to beat day to day. If you bet five NBA finals games, you're probably going to go three and two at best because that's how good the lines are. I think the exotic markets is where you look game by game. And you don't have to bet every game. Remember that. But there are two props that I looked at for game one. I went over 22 and a half points for Drew Holiday. Uh, plus 100, even money there. He has been sort of unleashed without Giannis, without Giannis rather, if that makes any sense. He has taken more shots. He has been more aggressive. He's getting to the free throw line, and he has the ball in his hands more. So that's a guy who has gotten better with Giannis off the floor because he has to. Uh, the other prop, I'm shorting Jay Crowder, who at this point in his career, he stands there and waits for an open pass to hit, to hit a three-point shot. Yeah. Um, he is not on the block anymore. He's not in the paint. He has turned into essentially Jared Dudley and his numbers nine and a half for points. Uh, if he makes three, that's cool. I still win. So I went under nine and a half on Jay Crowder at plus money. I think plus one Oh five. And then I went over drew holiday, 22 and a half at plus a hundred. I think the prop markets 
are the easiest to win at at this part of the game because the spreads and the totals, they are just too tight. They are too good. If you were going to bet MVP, would you go with one of the favorites, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Giannis? They're all inside of uh, plus 275. You got longer shots like Middleton, 6-1, to one, Drew Holiday, 10-1, to one, DeAndre Ayton, 25-1. to one. Middleton, 6-1 to one makes a lot of sense. I didn't make any positions on this, nor do I think I'm going to. Uh, when this market opened, you have to remember relatively that Chris Paul was, I think, 30 to 1. Devin Booker was 50 to 1. So wow. if you're asking me if there's value anywhere, <laughs> no, there isn't. But, um, you know, we talk about value in a vacuum all the time. Middleton has has really become a killer late in games. And that's really crunch time for MVP awards and for player awards like that. You know, you're looking for big moments in fourth quarter action and Middleton, you know, in that game against the Hawks, when he scored 20 in the fourth quarter, uh, he rattled off 16 in the clincher against the Hawks. So I think given the numbers, um, six to one is the most enticing, at least when I say that out loud on Middleton, um, I'm not betting Paul. I I'm over this, you know, what a run for Chris Paul, dude, give me a freaking break. They beat the Lakers without Davis. They beat the Nuggets without Murray. And then they beat the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. And now they face the Bucks without Giannis. So, yeah, he could win the MVP, but he's he hasn't been the most valuable player in the postseason. We got 3-1 in the Stanley Cup Finals. We're talking to Sam Paniotovic, uh, breaking down the world of sports betting. We got an NBA Finals game number one coming up here, the pregame, in less than 10 minutes. All right, 3-1 series. Montreal fights back into it. Uh, how are we approaching this one? How have you approached it? I took a break in game four, and I've been tailing, as you know, our friend Alex Smith, who's a tremendous hockey handicapper. He was on the second period over in games one, two, and three, and I, I rode him and I tailed him. I give him full credit on that. Game four, though, man, the market, <laughs> you know, the second period over slowly went from minus 15 and minus 20 to minus 140 in game number four. And my thing on my show is right team, right price, and I did not see – an edge laying 140 in that second period. Now, full disclosure, there still should have been three goals in game four. One goal was scored and three irons were hit. I think it was two crossbars and one post. So the second period has been the most scorish chance period, if that makes any sense. Like the, the chances have been at their highest in the second period. So given that there's a loss now and the juice will probably regress a little bit, if I can take that second period over in game number five at about minus 130, I will jump back into the pool. So I did it one, two, three. I sat out in four. I like it again in game five. As for the market, for the the game and the total, um, no no dice. I touched the total, and I lean Tampa in the game. But, dude, I'm not laying 220 to win 100. Um, I don't even like the puck line. So, uh, again, the finals in every sport, the lines are the toughest to beat, and I'm never going to lay – minus 220 in a uh, in a hockey match because anything goes with the proper puck bounce or the proper luck or whatever. Um, second period over, give it a price reduction. If I get minus 125 or minus 130, I will go back over in game number five. I'm not taking the Habs to win the series. I saw a couple of our buddies go, oh, the Habs are going to do it. The Habs were outshot by almost double last <laughs> night, and they, they it took them an, an overtime to win. They're outmatched. They're outclassed. They might win again. But I'm not. I'm not going to waste any money on the Habs at 15 to one to win the series. I'd rather light my money on fire. Sam Paniotovich with us here on Cofield and Company. Let, let's close on uh, a look ahead with baseball. I don't know what futures you're interested in playing. I have some division interest. Uh, we're at about the halfway mark. So what are you doing with baseball down the stretch here? 
Man, I, you know, you and I discussed this on your show about a month ago. I said, hey, don't wait around to bet the Red Sox to win the division. At that point, they were still behind the Rays and the Yankees. Mm. It was it was pretty crazy. They were still about four to one uh, to win the American League East. And you're lucky right now to find a, a 160 or 170 uh, on the Red Sox to win that division. But I think if you're looking, you know, at the World Series market in general, uh, Dodgers still the, the heavy prohibitive favorite. Then the Astros, Padres, and White Sox, man. I, I think that Padre team is as good as anybody in the league. Um, you know, FanDuel's got a nine to one, uh, Borgata's got an eight to one, MGM's got an eight to one. So you can still find a pretty good number on San Diego. I think their rotation is solid. And with Tatis and Machado, they've got a chance against anybody. The White Sox, I'm so worried. They, they had another injury last night with Yasmani Grandal, and uh, it's still not clear what his injury is. They have been bitten by the injury bug more than any other team. The rotation's good, but I don't know if their offense will be good enough. If you ask me right now to pick a team to win the World Series, I'd go with the Padres at 8-1. That's probably the consensus price. Yeah, I'm not high on the Mets. I'm not high on the Brewers. If the Padres can get through the Dodgers, which is very possible, uh, that's a team that will definitely have a chance to play in the World Series. And then if they make the World Series or the NLCS for that matter, and you've got eight to one in your pocket, you can hedge, you can get creative, you can make money. Yeah, I think teams you have to fade right now, the Dodgers a little bit because we don't know about Trevor Bauer. That's a massive factor. Um, I am worried about the White Sox because, you know, we uh, talked about all the, the drama and the nonsense from Josh Donaldson going at Lucas Giolito, but fact is, Lucas Giolito's numbers have been down recently, and he got knocked around again this weekend. And I love that you mentioned the Mets. Not that I was interested in the Mets for the NL, but for the NL East, the Mets are actually a minus price. Uh, you can still get the Nationals at like six to one. Uh, you know, the, the, to me, the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Braves have all underachieved, and the Mets have overachieved. So I think there's some room to make some money in the NL East. I have a Braves problem. Let me admit that first. You always have to admit when you have a problem. I have yeah, a Braves yeah, yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> I had them before the year to win the World Series at 14 to 1. Ooh. As I stare at the screen right now, I can get, you know, 5 to 1 pretty much anywhere on the Braves to win the division. It sounds like you like the Nats. I still I I still am going to I'm going to die with this Braves team. Um, they can't stay out of their own way, but man, they can get hot in a hurry. You know, they can rattle off five or six in a row. Um, I, I think the Braves at five to one makes the most sense in that division. Uh, yeah, the Mets up to minus two fifty. I'll tell you Crazy. what, I'm not laying that. That's for sure. No, no way. All right, Sam, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Always appreciate it, man. See you. There he is, Sam Panyanovich Nesson, also doing work with uh, Fox Sports Radio. Make sure you go read his story on his uh, imaginary odds. And he did talk to like thirteen different bookmakers for Rocky and Drago. I will say one thing I noticed. I'm not going to get on Sam for this because I, I know, uh, you know, there are fact checkers. I feel like the tail of the table is a little bit off. They had Stallone listed at 173 pounds. And I, I thought from the movies that he was always introduced at like 198 or 202. This 170s technically would not be a heavyweight. That was my only problem with it. But yeah, Drago should be a gigantic favorite. All right. How big a favorite should the Suns be? Because this thing has steamed all the way up to the Suns are minus 200 for the series. I don't feel like there's a giant gap in this deal. If we get 70% Giannis for six of the games, Bucks have a shot. I mean, Middleton's got, he's got to be high level Middleton every game. He can't have dips 
Drew Holiday obviously can do some damage. He showed that in the last series. So, yeah, right now you can get the Bucks plus 175 for the series. Tonight's game is Suns, five and a half, and the total is 219. By the way, the match right now led by Phil and Brady. They're one up through eight holes. All right, enjoy the pregame and NBA Finals on the way right here on ESPN Las Vegas.